Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazzy Lamprey, joined as always by my partner, out on the west side of Los Angeles with the slick bag too. <laughs> Nando Vila, what's going on? What's up, baby? Feeling good? Feeling great? How I you was doing? A, I was about to use a slur that's used in reference, you know, to the darker, more olive Filipinos. Excuse me, Filipinos, Spaniards <laughs> of 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 Europe. You know, the the, the more olive people. They usually call y'all slick back. Yeah. Or edit that out. But in but in today's climate and culture where anything you say could get you fired, I don't want to do that. But anyway, yeah. on today's show, you know, we spent a few weeks giving props to Biden for his domestic U.S. policy um, so far very early on in the administration. He's been pretty aggressive. Um, we like the direction that he's been taking it. Uh, and, you know, we, we've given him props for it, but you know, because we're the woke bros and we got to keep it a hundred. Um, we want to talk about his foreign policy and basically there's absolutely zero daylight between Donald Trump and his administration and Joe Biden. And it kind of bums us out. So we're going to, you know, delve into that a little bit. Uh, man, uh, it came across my desk, a woman named Himal Javeri. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. She got fired from USA Today. For for a tweet, um, you know, in regards to white men and uh, mass shootings, <sighs> we've been talking about, we've kind of been talking about cancel culture and getting people fired on the internet and all this kind of craziness. And uh, so we want to talk about this story and how it intersects with basically every single thing we've been warning people about since the start of this. But first... 
our guy, you know, friend of the show, Ken Klippenstein of The Intersect, he has been all over Amazon from the very beginning of, you know, the unionization drive and just sort of just the working conditions of Amazon's factories or fulfillment centers, as Amazon likes to call them. Um, Klippenstein has been on top of it. And yesterday he put out an insanely well-reported piece. He got leaked documents and memos from Amazon, internal documents, where basically they formed a propaganda arm within the company where they would hire people from the fulfillment center to, to essentially, they'd pay them money to say things in public um, that were uh, favorable towards Amazon. And also just to just spew Amazon talking points. Um, Completely, and you know, it came with directions as to what topics to completely avoid, uh, how they should respond to certain topics, like literally, like talking point memos of how you should talk. Um, yes, and this is on the heels, of course, of a huge embarrassment about bot usage, embarrassing bot usage by Amazon, which, of course, um, on the heels of Amazon executives, Amazon's obviously propaganda wing called Amazon News uh, saying completely ridiculous things on Twitter. They've been a public embarrassment about how they've been trying to handle the entire unionization effort. And, you know, what I feel like is a renewed uh, sort of glaring spotlight on the business practices of what is a now global behemoth of a company, right? Um, And they have just been a disaster nando at combating the bad press and i love it (laughs) yeah no it's it's amazing uh because it started off like this unionization drive has been going on for a while we've talked about it a million times on the show they voted and we're going to find out the results of the election in the next few weeks i don't know why it takes so long to count the votes it's not that many votes but apparently it takes several weeks to uh, count the votes in bessemer alabama but in the last couple of days, I mean, this Amazon PR, it's just been so bizarre to me because obviously there's, they've been getting a lot of attention. Bernie Sanders went down to Bessemer, Alabama. Danny Glover, uh, Killer Mike went down. Um, uh, Jamal Bowman went down. Like, There's just been a lot of attention on the Bessemer shit. And you can see that like a lot of their executives are like, we like they're they're lying. We gotta push back on all this stuff. And so you've seen some politicians like on Twitter um be like, um, oh my God, you know, like Amazon working conditions are horrible, like workers have to pee in bottles and stuff like that. And Amazon's PR Twitter account responded to a, a U- United States congressman who had tweeted that saying, you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do you? You know? <laughs> and so um, Ken Klippenstein, who is maybe our nation's finest investigative reporter, if not certainly one of the best, um, tweets out, if if anyone at Amazon knows anything about the tweet, the peeing in bottles thing, uh, you know, get at me and and I'll publish it. He got his hands on an internal memo from Amazon executives in which not only did they know about the peeing in bottles thing, they knew about shitting in bags, like work, like drivers in Amazon have to take shits in bags because they have, they don't have any time to even stop and go to the bathroom. They have to deliver so many packages at one, in one trip that they, not only did they know about it, but they were penalizing workers for doing it. This is from internal company memos, uh, you know, circulated amongst the staff. 
And then <laughs> um, you started to see all these Twitter accounts. And I, I tweeted some screenshots that were just absolutely hilarious. And uh, of like these like random people on Twitter with like Amazon FC in their handle being like, Amazon working conditions are perfect. I work there and it's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever worked at in my life. So believable. So believable. And I thought like, man, these have to be bots. Like they have to be bots. And apparently they're not. Like Ken Klippenstein again got the goods on an internal memo from 2018, which showed that the company was essentially encouraging certain workers at their fulfillment centers who showed good senses of humor to go on Twitter and defend the company. Um, this is some dark shit, Was This is like some really dystopian dark shit. I mm-hmm. mean, this is like, you know, have you seen The Matrix? You know, the 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 Joe Pantoliano character in Matrix, like just a total collaborator, you know, <laughs> with the, the power. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yep. Um, they, you know, he off, they offer him like a steak, right? Remember like that scene? And he's like, yeah, of I'll, course. I'll turn and, on and, my And his it's, it's story is all this time. And, you know, a lot of things become like part of the, the sort of lexicon of just common everyday usage. And I think one of them is divide and conquer. And so oh, yeah. that, that term gets used so often that I, I feel like people can look at it as trite or not really having any real meaning in any sense of the word, but like, no, it's, it's a fact. It's how power consolidates power. It's literally like, yo, this is how they win. They divide it up. They're like, no, let's find a few workers, select workers who we give nice little fringe benefits to and get them to discredit the mass of workers who we know obviously would cost us way more to appease the mass of them than to give these little couple of guys crumbs to give our side the credibility. It's classic um, divide and conquer. And, you know, the bots, obviously, they probably bought some bots, too. It's always going to be a mixture of both. I think it came out as bots first in Klippenstein because he's such a beast. He um, he uncovered, again, actual memos, actual meetings, actual emails that were sent to Amazon employees about essentially creating Amazon propaganda. Right. Um, not no, not, let's not have meetings that deal with the iniquities within the company or, you know, better the conditions of the workers. No, the meetings need to be about how we suppress the sort of um, publicization of these abject working conditions. And I think another thing from Klippenstein's article that I thought was interesting, too, that Bezos was telling executives. So it's yeah. like, you know, not only just the little worker bees on the ground who we're going to get out and pirate. I mean, um, and parrot the talking points of one of the richest men ever, right? Um, no, the richest guy ever. <laughs> okay, so the richest guy yeah, ever. <laughs> that, you know, a fulfillment center employee would go out and parrot this guy's talking points as if they are aligned in any way, shape, or form. Um, he's like, no, I need executives to go out there and do it. And then that's when we get this clown... <laughs> This clown, Dave Clark. Who's the CEO, the new CEO. Who is the new CEO who says he welcomes Bernie to Alabama. Um, You know, uh, we consider ourselves the Bernie Sanders of employees, except not really because we actually deliver a progressive workplace. That's what this fool had to say. And you notice the talking points. They're all um, sort of disciplined in what they say out there. We've put out a $15 minimum wage, um, and we also allow, we also offer health care right out the gate. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, because a lot of times the, the work that the union is doing is to is- extract these same benefits out of a company, right? Um, so, you know, they think they're smarter than everybody. So they think, no, we'll just give them the 15 and we'll give them the health care and nothing else. Well, the interesting concept context for that is that it is true that Amazon, all Amazon workers get at least $15 an hour. That was passed in 2018, largely <laughs> thanks yeah. to the specific campaign led by one Bernie Sanders targeting Amazon by name, in which he rose up a huge stink, like introduced a bill in the Senate, called out Amazon by name over and over and over again, basically led a campaign to get Amazon, the second largest employer in America, soon to be the largest employer in America, to raise their wages to $15 minimum to uh, uh, an hour. That was the result of Bernie's specific advocacy. It wasn't that they were just like, oh, we're going to do this because we're lovely people. It's because Bernie himself pressured them to do it. Um, so, yeah, and yeah. again, the memo clearly stated that he wanted CEOs – um, executives to come out and publicly get out in front of this. And again, basically, it's all to placate the ego of one Jeff Bezos, who we will remind you guys is worth close to $200 billion now. Um, again, uh, how, what would it really take or cost this guy for, you know, your our packages to get there in a day and a half rather than two hours? <laughs> but yo... <laughs> <laughs> I got to read some of these tweets. I got I got to yeah, read some of these tweets cuz they're amazing. Please. These are the these are the Amazon FC tweets. These are real uh in theory real Amazon workers <laughs> taking to Twitter to defend the company. So, some guy tweeted um at Amazon. He goes, "Hey, a- Amazon, just want to say that I'm okay with getting the garbage I order from you a lot later if it means your employees are able to take adequate breaks and work with dignity." Dignity. Just saying. So, a guy showing solidarity with Amazon workers saying like, "I don't need like, you know, the the stupid fucking, uh, you know, little toy that I just bought on Amazon to arrive within three hours. Uh, it, it, I could wait a day or two if it means like the employees get treated with dignity. And some guy named Gary at Oak 4 with the handle uh, at Amazon FC Gary. He goes, my FC, Fulfillment Center, responding to this tweet, he goes, my FC, meaning Fulfillment Center, lets me take two 20-minute breaks and one 30-minute lunch. On overtime days, we get three 20-minute breaks, which is also pretty nice as well. Before the pandemic, our breaks used to be only 15 minutes. The overall 10-minute increase is thumbs up emoji. Being an essential worker is dignifying for me, smiley face. Like, just totally, you know... (laughs) It's a hostage video. It's a oh hostage my God. video on it's fucking in crazy. tweet form. Like this yeah. is it's ridiculous. Like the idea that and by the way, the, how you know it's 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 ridiculous. It's like nobody would hear that and think, "Wow, that's amazing what they're doing yeah. for these people." In fact, you hear it and you think the opposite to yourself. It's like, "Yo, um that actually sucks. That's what the improvement was too. That's actually horrible. Yeah. Um, the idea that you couldn't take 20 minutes off at your job is ridiculous. And again, if you're somebody who works for a living, you're not obsessed with this concept of efficiency and this, this, that, and the third. Like you think to yourself, oh, I would, I, yo, I want to get that done. And or, by the way, <laughs> another thing that never really, really gets talked about, Nando, is... Or Amazon, if you want to keep it that way for the consumer, but again, you'd be bad, bad capitalist to do it, just hire more people. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're rich enough to do it. You've, yeah, you've yeah, set yeah. the standard. Hire more people. But but why would you ever do that? Why would you yeah. ever spend more money? Why would you ever, you know, um, <laughs> make more gainfully employed people? No, you're trying to do this stuff with the bare minimum amount of people for the bare minimum amount of money because that's ultimately what makes you a great business person. That's what makes you a fine capitalist. That's yeah. what makes you lean. That's what makes you efficient. All these nasty buzzwords, which essentially means running your workers into a nub. That's what makes you good at capitalism, period. Yeah. That's what gets you to be Jeff Bezos. And that's what, even when you get there, you fight tooth and nail to make sure that you don't have to give anything back to the workforce that helped you get to $200 billion, Nando. Like, I, and, and we say this often. I don't think people can even, like, I can't even fathom what it means to, like, have access to $80 billion right now. Like just I can't eight. fathom what it's access to one million dollars, <laughs> dude. I would be living fucking. Oh my god, I would be having so much fun. One million dollars. Like, it's dude. like that scene in Office Space. You know what would you do with uh, with a million dollars? You know, two chicks at the same time. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, you don't need a million dollars to do that. He's like, well, you know, kind of guy like me. Yeah. So it's like, and it, it, when we say this stuff, I feel like it's hard for people to even compute to understand like this man's personal wealth. Um, and the, you know, the now, like five, I think the number is now 500,000 people whose lives would be completely transformed by something more equitable that made freaking sense, man. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. And again, like they, they know they don't have a leg to stand on with any of the core issues that are being raised by the union. They literally just stick to the two things that they're doing. The 15, which got fought for by people like Bernie Sanders, um, and people like, let's face it, the squad, Ilhan Omar and, and AOC, yeah. who were the public faces of the fight for 15, um, and the healthcare, which again, it doesn't speak to the working conditions. We're not talking about vacation pay. We're not talking about sick pay. We're not talking about, um, workman's comp. We're not talking about, you know, workflow expectations. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We're yeah. literally... <laughs> they're literally just want to talk about the two things that they did, which by the way, when you unionize, they're going to negotiate for more than that. Okay. Because if, if the workers across the board at Amazon were united, bro, the amount of leverage that could be exercised, this it's, it's insane. It wouldn't be 15 no more. No, that thing would be closer to 22, 25, probably yeah. more than that. And, you know, and they would be treated like regular human beings, like real human exactly. beings in, exactly. in the workplaces. I mean, that's the that's the other you know aspect of it. It's not just the money that you make. It's just the quality of your work hours, you know, like because, you know, everything you hear about these Amazon fulfillment centers that they treat it like they squeeze them to the last drop like robots. I mean, there was the case of, you know, an employee literally dying on the job at a fulfillment center and the other employees were under so much pressure to deliver you know, to package as many goods as possible in the allotted time that they were just like literally stepping over this dude's dead body because like they couldn't take, they couldn't take a break to be like, yo, there's a guy who's fucking dead here. Can we like move him? Can we like maybe stop the day's work? A fucking guy just died, you know, like, um, so yeah, it's, right. it's not just the pay. It's not just the healthcare or all those things are very, very important. It's just the actual quality of your work, your work day. Yep. And also, you know, to end this, 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 this first segment, um, we just want to, I just want to point out one more thing and I got to give the credit to my brother Nando for pointing this out for me. 
in today in Barry kind of fucking sucks. His former press secretary is now the comms director for Amazon.com. Yeah. That's what you do when you leave Barry. Yeah. You go work. You go, Jay Carney, you go work for and with the oligarchy class. That's what the cachet um, Mm -hmm. of working in the Obama White House affords you. You go right back to the oligarchy class. And again, I'll never get tired of saying this. Timothy Geithner got $600 million for his hedge fund. (laughs) For his services. For as soon as he left government. $600 Six hundred yeah. million dollars, y'all. <laughs> like that's what he got after he left his job that Obama appointed him to. Yeah. Anyway, Jay Carney comes out and he tweets Bernie Sanders and says, "With all due respect to Senator Bernie Sanders, you're wrong on this. We treat our employees with dignity and respect. We offer a fifteen dollar minimum wage, healthcare from day one, and safe, inclusive workspace. Once again, we invite you to take a tour so you can see for yourself. And since we are forty million Americans, since there are forty million Americans." Earning less than Amazon's starting wage. We ask you and your colleagues to please raise the federal minimum wage as well. That's Jay Corny. <laughs> yeah. Um, the difference in our politics is that re- if you're a Republican, what's what's the name of Trump's press secretary, that that like kind of attractive one, Kaylee McEnany or some shit? Yeah. What, what the fuck was her name? She got a job as a, you know, she left the White House and she got she just got a job as a Fox News host. Anchor. If you were in the Obama press secretary, you just you just get a job um, shilling for like a woke uh, tech company. You know, that's like that's the two, that's, that's the difference between our politics. Perfectly. These are the two sides. Um, yeah. Moving on. Squeaky doors, clogged sinks, finicky engines. When things break around the house, you take care of it. However, when something's off in the bedroom, you just try not to think about it. Come on, man. What are you waiting for? That's a problem that needs to be fixed. So take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you and find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, it ships you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M right now and you'll get $15 off your first month. It's really time to take care of your ED. Remember, get started today. You'll save $15 on your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. I talked about it in the beginning of the show. Uh, A young woman, again, by the name of Hamel Javeri. She used to be an editor and a writer at USA Today. Um, She was also part of their diversity and inclusion task force. Uh, she got fired last week because, um, in the midst of, you know, one of those shootings, one of those mass shootings, there's so many of them, I can never keep track. She put out a tweet that I bet the one in Colorado, the one in Colorado, she put out a tweet that essentially insinuated that most of these shootings, um, happened from black men. I mean, excuse me, from white men, (laughs) um, of course, uh, the sort of right-wing mob went after her after it was revealed the next day that the guy was Muslim, which, by the way, as an aside, 
does not preclude you from being white. Yeah, I think but people I, have a hard time understanding that whiteness is just fake. And if you want to, you can kind of be white even when you're Muslim. But that's neither here nor there. But like that's the most ridiculous part of it. It's like this idea that a Muslim could never be considered a white person. But whatever, I digress with that one. That's just one of my... You know, race race is so fake and stupid, um, yet people subscribe to it. And, like, just the, I, I reject this idea on its face. Obviously, I don't think this woman should have been fired. But yeah. just the, the, the premise that it's being fought on is that this guy wasn't white. And so the fact that she, you know, basically singled out and jumped to conclusions and overgeneralized a racial, a population or a race of people in America... Right-wing media got after her. Dave Rubin, of course, your old friend, Nando, um, got after her. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had it on Fox News. Um, Yeah, and so the right-wing apparatus kicked her ass. And Nando, and I give the ball to you because, again, this is something that we've been talking about all the time. You and I don't clearly don't believe that she should have been fired. But guess what? Everybody who stood up and clapped for that woman at US at um Team Vogue, black woman, yeah. by the way. She's black, by the way, the lady that got fired, just so y'all know. Um, she might be mulatto, but she's black. Um <laughs> y'all paid like when y'all stood up and cheered for that, when y'all stood up and cheered for my man PJ Vogue to get fired, when y'all stood up and cheered for Gina Carano. Carano, all of these people, you've paved the way for this. I don't know why everybody thinks we're going to somehow on the left out reactionary the reactionaries. It doesn't make any sense. If we had any type of ideological coherence, we would be finding other things to attack the established order on instead yeah. of feelings or my feelings were hurt or blah, 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 and this and that. And that one person should be fired because it's going to make me feel good. <laughs> it's not going to change the material conditions of any single fucking person of color who's black, Chinese, uh, Native American, Hispanic, whatever you want to call it. It's not going to change any of that, but it's yeah. going to make me feel better. For That's like it. five seconds. For five seconds, and then you're going to move on to being enraged about something else, Nando. Yeah. We take a somewhat radical, but I think kind of coherent position that like the bar to get to remove someone from their job has to be like insanely high. You know, Um, Jeffrey Tubin, we got, you know, we got in some heat for, for saying, suggesting like, man, you know. Cut the guy. Yes. Like, I, I wish a few people at his job didn't have to see his dick, but I don't really think he should be fired for it. Yeah. Um, I, I know that you talked about the Miles Leonard situation. Um, we haven't spoken about Gina Carano, but same thing. And and same thing with this with this woman from USA Today. Like she shouldn't have been fired. Um, just the principle that I hold that like Unless you are like some CEO, you know, I, I will have endless sympathy for someone who's just like a worker, you know? Yep. Um, and in terms of shit that they say, both, you know, not, not just off, I mean, certainly off the job. Anything someone says off the job should be, I think, off limits from, <laughs> you know, the purview of the boss. I, I think like in general, that's a pretty, you're, you're better off like holding to that principle than anything else. Um, but even sometimes on the job, like we should have a lot more, um, 
you know, the, the, the bar should be a lot higher if we're talking about firing someone because what, it ends, what, what ends up happening, the right-wing apparatus is so much more well-organized, so much more well-funded, so much more, you know, willing to just like plaster this shit all over the place and then this fucking poor woman from USA Today gets fired, you know? Like, it, 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 you're not going to win this battle. You're just not going to win. Sense. Yeah, you're not going to win. No, and what I don't know, I, I don't know that it's a battle worth fighting for. I, I, it's I, not. I it's not. It's not I, worth I fighting. Um, just the cost of it, because again, the cost is this. Like Dave Rubin tweeted, he said, "Of course, this woman, this woman who just called the shooter white, just not knowing anything, not knowing any facts, called the shooter white. It comes out that the guy's Muslim." She was which wrong. Again, that was wrong. was wrong, and 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 like the thing with mass shootings, and and it's and it's part of the, I think the problem with the liberal conception of race that we that we um, talk a lot about on this show is that it's the liberal conception of race is that it's totalizing, you know that it that it's everything. <laughs> everything is about racism, and that's just not the the real experience of most people, you know. Um, it's just not like and. But it's it's become totally dominant amongst a certain kind of elite liberal, you know, Robin D'Angelo, white fragility type situation, you know, in which race is everything. It's in everything. It's in every social interaction. It's in every workplace interaction. It's in every, you know, everything is about it and and, and you can't escape it. Um, and I think that that's just see, wrong. But, see, see, but, and, and I do want to say a couple of, there's a couple of things I want to say. I recognize that the bad, the really bad tweets from... The Teen Vogue lady, uh, when she was 17 and 18, by the way, probably worse in offenses school. in high school, probably worse offenses than what this lady said. And of course, I recognize that when you're talking about historically oppressed people like the gays, like the Asians in America, et cetera, it makes it a different proposition, which is fine. But again, she said them when she was a nobody, no nothing, 18 year old person. Um, and again, um, and this is 10 years later, uh, and, and she's still being punished for it. And I know that there's a difference between that and, you know, what, what the, um, what, what this lady from USA Today, I keep, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting her name, um, Hamal, uh, Javeri. Uh, and, and, and I recognize that I, I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm just saying guys, um, it's just not going to work. And in like what, and what Nando said about. That's what I wanted to say. What Nando said about liberals sort of making race this all-encompassing, this all-in-one sort of killing everything type of thing. I, I happen to think that race is involved in everything. But if I could use an analogy, um, sometimes like we're talking about a hamburger and race is the lettuce. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it, it's it's there. You know, and you can taste it and it has its properties and it has its function and it's influencing something about this thing. But um, it's not everything. It's not the be all and end all at all times. And that's what I mean when I always say on the show that like I really, truly feel like race is both underrated and overrated. Yeah. Right? I think <laughs> yeah. people underrate um, how prevalent it is in everything. Right. Like I, I like I don't think the average person would understand that like how much anti-blackness there is in like say Korean community in uh um Los Angeles amongst the first people who got here, right? The first immigrants who got here. And th and that's, you know, and we haven't gotten into the Asian violence thing on this show, which, you know, that's whatever. That's neither here nor there. 
But I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's that's a thing that some people wouldn't even realize or think, right? But how significant is it to the general down, downtrodden nature of black existence in America? I don't think it's that central. But it is something that a lot of people don't realize, right? Mm. And so that's what I mean by it's both underrated and overrated. I think it's... I think anti-blackness in other communities is of a piece to how, you know, capitalism expresses itself um, and reinforces itself. It, it gets, it sows these fissures and divisions amongst groups that already don't have anything. Um, I think it's working within that broader construct, but I don't think, you know, I don't think that sentiment amongst, again, non-blacks, to have anti-black views is the be-all and end-all of why black people are where we are in this country, right? And so that's what I mean by that. Like, it's overrated and underrated. It's like, bruh, I mean, <laughs> the way we've we've talked about, the way people talk about race has become so flattened. And like you said, it's like this- Well, it's become totalizing, Right. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, the Ibrahim Kendi thing where every interaction, like he he makes the point that every interaction is either racist or anti-racist and that there's no just kind of interaction that's just between normal human beings. You know, like if you see the world in those stark terms, then you start to, again, like you said, you start to like overrate certain interactions and, and, and ascribing much more nefarious meaning to them than they may necessarily be there. Um, and, and that's become a very dominant strain amongst liberals. Um, it just, it just really has, it's, it's, it's very, and it's a very recent phenomenon. Um, I, 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 I don't really understand what, what is driving it because it's like at one, on the one hand, like a very radical notion. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, a totally per paralyzing notion, you know? I mean, I know um, I have my own, um, sort of hypothesis and um i don't know if i've ever tried it out on a show but i think a lot of it has to do with um the black bourgeoisie class i think they're literally speaking to their own existence meaning if i'm a black person who works at the new york times pretty much my only problem is the conditions at the new york times right. like my the, the the conditions of my mm -hmm. actual life aren't that dire. Right. Um, and so these, con like the conditions at my workplace, at whether or not some dude that I worked with said nigger on a class trip in South America, um, referencing something that somebody else said on a trip that I wasn't even at, um, the fact that somebody can say that that happening, that event ruined their day, <laughs> and their lives and they spent weeks like being sleepless and all of that stuff like that an individual could say that and basically explain that all black people would enter would sort of interact with this actual happening in the world the same way as them that that's what i think is happening i think there are black people at influential institutions whose voices become magnified and those voices become, this is what is going to save all black people. Because in my circumstance, this is exactly what would just make me happy. Yeah. You know, having book deals, working at the freaking New York Times, guys.
Okay, um, the access and the sort of social strata that that puts me in. Now that I'm there, I don't have the material needs that the workers in Bessemer, Alabama have. They just straight up don't. But guess what? Guess whose needs are going to end up on your MSNBC, in your New York Times, your Washington Post, your Jezebels, your, your woke fucking factories. Those people's needs are the ones being spoken to, not that of rank and file, everyday normal black people. That's what I personally think is happening. I think there are very influential um, black people within the bourgeoisie who get to talk about what makes them feel bad. Yeah. And those and those needs get the biggest microphones. When you look at inequality, um, like income and wealth inequality. And you look at um, patterns in welcome in wealth and income inequality. You know, we we think about the big picture, right? The the one percent versus the ninety nine percent and all that stuff. And if you if you look at the charts, the same patterns persist within different social groups. So, like within the one percent, there is a one percent and a ninety nine percent at the exact same rate of difference than in the broader population. Does that make sense? And then, like within, for example, say like. African-Americans in the United States, there is the same distribution of wealth and income as in the rest of the country. So there is a sort of black 1% and 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 the difference between them is is, a, is the same as in mm, the other, got you. you know, proportionally so, okay, speaking. So, okay, so what Nando is, is saying, guys, like if there is a general 1%, that's not to say that the 1% is proportional to the amount of black people that are in this country. Yeah. What he's saying is that Within black people, the proportion yes. at which is it is different between the black 1% and the bottom of black people is the same as yes. the white 1% and the bottom of white people. Yes, exactly. And and it's and it's within the 1% of everyone, like amongst like the richest people ever, there is the same exact difference. Like it's it's this weird phenomenon where the exact same like the, the way capitalism has been structured. Um, in in the last say three or four decades, has led to this kind of separation within social groups. Um, so yeah, and, it's and, uh, and, and how you know it's true. Um, just just put it like this: like, let's take Michael Jordan, Jay Z, um, Oprah Winfrey, uh, you name it. Puff, they're all billionaires. There's this sort of idea out there. That, you know, if only we just had so many more black billionaires, that would produce, like, they would have this fucking multiplier effect. Like, how many people do people genuinely think Michael Jordan has made into 10 millionaires? No one. Via Jordan brand. Like, I, nothing. I'm not talking about his job, his capacity as owner in the NBA, where he's part of a cartel, where they're in partnership with the Players Union, where together... With the players' union and his other cartel members, the NBA ownership, together, again, with the players' union, they've made countless 10 million. I'm talking about Michael Jordan, who is personally worth billions of dollars. How many 10 millionaires do you think Michael Jordan has produced? <laughs> Are you out of your... F that's not how this works. Do you understand? <laughs> and so that's what, that's what I'm trying to explain. Like, how many black 10 millionaires has this billionaire produced? Because there's, there's just this stupid thought that somebody's going to make a billion, he's going to make a bunch of 100 millionaires or 10 millionaires, no, 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 and no, those no. 10 millionaires are going to make 100,000. It's not how capitalism works, guys.
As soon as you become a billionaire, you learn the ways of your fellow billionaires and you hoard that shit. That's what they all do. Go from Jay-Z, go from Oprah, go from Puff, go from Bob Johnson, go from whoever you want to name who has reached that level has not produced a bunch of other obscenely rich people in their stead. It doesn't work. Okay, like, in fact, you know, and I think about the music industry, like Puff signed a bunch of people to slave deals. And then those former slaves signed other people to slave deals and they justified like, shit, I work for Puff. That's what I did to get in. That's that's just the that's the fucking cycle of it. Anyway, this convo went, you know, crazier and longer than I thought. It's just something that I'm just seeing. And I think, again, I I think it it all informs everything. I, I think, you know, when you're talking about. These kids trying to get a professor fired at University of Chicago Law School. A bunch of black law students come together (laughs) to University of Chicago to get a professor fired because on their exam, they said they got heart palpitations from seeing N, the N word, on an exam with letter N and five asterisks after it. It's a fact. It's a fact. They wanted to get their professor fired for having that on an exam. Yeah, that's a fact. I did that's not know that. Did that's not see that story. That's a fact. That's a fact. That happened. Um, And again, who are these black homies? The people at the University of Chicago. If you go, like, at the law school program at the University of Chicago, that's a prestigious school. That's an elite institution. If you go down... The founders East- of neoliberalism were from the University of Chicago. The people, the, the intellectual <laughs> architects of... Our uh, economic, modern economic system, uh, you know, this sort of hyper-capitalist, what we call the neoliberal era, came from the Chicago school. They were, that's where they were called. Again, um, and I'm just telling you as a black person, if you go to your neighborhood, go to your neighborhood right now, ask the first 10 black people you saw, if they were taking an exam and they saw that, would they get heart palpitations? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Nando, we can't simultaneously be the most resilient group of people yeah. known to man, yet also be the people who get heart palpitations from seeing the N-word, not even the N-word, and with five yeah, asterisks and, yeah. on it on an exam. You Negroes too fancy for your own good. I'm sorry. You need to take it down a peg. Anyway, that's just that's just what it is. And again, it's all related to this fervor that's almost getting to Salem witch trial levels. Yeah. Just saying. Um, And, you know, like I said, we went a little bit longer than I thought on that, but just quickly, Nando, because I know you really wanted to talk about this, was um, Joe Biden's uh, foreign policy, man. It's it's, it's it's the flip side of what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you profess to care about oppressed people or whatever, I mean, just look outside of the U.S. border, um, and you'll find, you know, people in much more precarious situations um, than than even like the worst people off in the United States. Um, and yeah, man, the Biden foreign policy. I mean, we've given props to Biden, the Biden administration for some boldness in the in the coronavirus relief bill. Um, they might do this infrastructure thing, although it 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 looks like it's going to be much smaller than originally uh, thought. Um but it does seem like he's going bigger and bolder than at least Obama was. But in the terms of foreign policy, which, again, the U.S. president has almost total power 
right? None of this Congress, or Mitch McConnell, or the you know, or Joe Manchin. Those people don't matter at all in foreign policy anymore. I mean, the United the United States president, what's known as the imperial president, has taken all that power from away from Congress. So the president in foreign policy can essentially do whatever the fuck he wants. Biden has essentially, with very small, almost cosmetic differences, maintained the exact same foreign policy of Trump. Obama's foreign policy, which was bad, you know, but but had certain bright spots, such as the, you know, opening to Cuba, the deal with Iran, which has since been um, destroyed by both Republicans and Democrats. Are we not coming back to the deal with Iran? Is that just a wrap? Um, yeah, especially given what Biden Jeez. is doing. I mean, if you think about it from Iran's perspective, you know, we do a deal with the United States. Then some other guy gets in there. Yes. Yeah, then they shred the deal and they murder my guy. <laughs> I forgot about that. They, you know, we murdered yeah, Qasem yeah. Soleimani for no reason. Like we just fucking drone striked him. Um, this is like their national hero, uh, right? It's as if yeah. like I don't know. So it's what's as the if point like of all of this, right? Yeah. So like they're gonna be like, well, I'm not gonna fucking deal with you, especially because Biden has taken the position instead of being like, yo, we're sorry about that. Uh, let's come to the table. They're asking Iran for concessions before coming to the table. You know what I mean? Yeah, that <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> and Iran's like, uh, you, you, go fuck you, yourself. You yeah, you murdered yeah. our guy. And and again, what's the like? What's the point of doing this? Thing? And that part of that makes me wonder if that was the entire point of killing the guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so that there's never going to be another. There's never going to be an Iran be reason. deal. Yeah. For an Iran USA deal, right? It's not strategically yeah. getting that guy out the paint is not going to change Iran's advantages in the no. region whatsoever. It doesn't fundamentally change anything about that. Doesn't fundamentally change, you know. You know they always doing the concern trolling Nando. These neo concepts yeah. like, oh, the people of Iran deserve blah blah blah, and it's not doing any of that. Not that y'all actually care, but when y'all give it lip service, but it's not doing any any of that either. Yeah, it's basically probably just to be like, yeah, this was ensure we never have to fuck with them again and yeah. you know we can we can shore up our um we can shore up our you know our love affair back with israel and saudi and the well land. yeah i mean the saudi thing is just fucking crazy right because do you remember <laughs> when trump uh you know when trump was president and and you know the saudi arabian government led by Mohammed bin salman um got a washington post columnist Chopped them up into little pieces and then dissolved them in a vat of acid. A guy named Jamal Khashoggi, you guys all know that story. Mm -hmm. Literally, like, legitimately a horrifying thing. This is like the United States' <laughs> top ally in the world. I mean, outside yeah. of Israel, Saudi Arabia is, this, is the top ally. Um, you know, you, there was this feeling, oh, look at Trump. He, you know, he, he coddles up to strong men and he doesn't stand up for American values and he let... Uh, one of our own there was a be lot of chopped that up. Nah, nah, nah. Oh, Biden gets in there and they review uh, the Khashoggi case. They publicly state that Mohammed bin Salman was personally responsible for it, that he personally ordered the hit. And then they're like, you know what? You know what? We're really angry, but we're not going to do anything. A damn thing. We're not going to do a goddamn <laughs> thing about it. Ditto Latin America, you know, where uh, Trump pursued a very aggressive foreign policy uh, against Venezuela and um, Bolivia, where they supported the right-wing coup. 
in Bolivia, you see the same exact rhetoric coming from the Biden administration. I mean, just literally no difference. I mean, this guy fucking Tony Blinken, who's the new secretary of state, just constantly talking about how the new Bolivian government is not respecting human rights and, you know, because they jailed the woman who fucking did a right wing military coup in their country. It's like, I'm sorry, that's that's what happens when you do a coup. You fucking go to jail after it's over, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's not about fucking human rights. This is this is just standard issue uh, shit. And you know the Biden administration's all up in a huff uh, about it. It's just it's been really really nightmarish in that sense because I think what we're starting to see is a U.S. foreign policy in the wake of Trump that has hardened a lot of Trump's kind of worst impulses. And now Biden is giving them sort of liberal, polite liberal cover. Um, you know, and, and the real big bad, the real kind of, you know, problem with all this is what the fuck is going to happen with China. You know, uh, Trump made a lot of hay, a lot of political hay about China. We're standing up to China, the very, the very bad Chinese. The Chinese are very bad. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, the you, people thought like maybe the Biden administration would pursue a different tack um, vis-a-vis China, which is going to be the most powerful country in the world, most largest economy in the world very, very soon. Um, a country that we do not want to fuck with. But there is no there like there is no military option with China, like they would spank us, they would, you know, and the, and the war would kill millions of people. Yeah. Um, so the only option is some sort of accommodation, especially given the threat of climate change. Like w- w- with climate change, we need global cooperation. We don't need global competition. We need to coordinate the efforts against climate change and the stupid fucking rhetoric a- around China, which is purely driven by insecurity over China overtaking the United States in terms of the size of the global economy is wrong. It's just wrong. And whenever you see that shit, both from the liberal press and from the right-wing press, which is now a fully bipartisan effort, you know, the sort of talking about China is this new threat. You just got to be careful with that shit. You know, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We have to, we have to work with these people. That's the, that's, there is no other option. Fighting them is going to achieve nothing. It's just going to achieve death and destruction. So, yeah. I'm glad you said that, Nando. You know, um, it's something to monitor. And again, uh, and we got to reiterate, uh, because because of how critical we've been of Joe Biden, basically, since, you know, that bloody day in South Carolina. Um, and, you know, we're not going to hesitate to say when we think he's doing a great job. Um, we're not going to do the weird liberal thing where... But that's but that's important. We're not gonna do the weird liberal thing. Yeah, we're not gonna act like, like the murder of Jamal Khashoggi wasn't horrific, and we're not gonna applaud Joe Biden for acting like nothing happened, just like Trump did. It's not going to happen. We gotta be honest, and and I think it's important to make noises about a lot of this stuff. And so you know, we just wanted to talk about that today. Anyway. All Make right, sure so. you're messing with every single Count the Dings offering, man, on the network. Of course, Crazy Sexy Cool. Of course, Growing Up the Same. Of course, the Friday Mailbag, Cinephobe, et cetera, et cetera. Become a Patreon today at patreon.com backslash Count the Dings. That's how we're able to give you guys all this magnificent content on a <laughs> week-to-week basis, man. Um, Again, we love the feedback that we get from you guys. Every time I hang out with Nando, he explains to me like, 
This is one of his favorite things he's ever done because he actually feels like he's changing people's minds. Yeah. And like so many of you guys actually reach out to us and be like, yo, I wasn't thinking about this one thing. I'm so happy you pointed this thing out. You guys are giving us good information. We love the feedback, man. So get at us if you disagree with us, if you agree with us, whatever. Get at us online. We love interacting with you guys. Um, for the producer, Rob Lopez, who's just amazing and, you know, uh, keeps the ones and threes moving, uh, Fernando Vila. I'm Big Waz. We out of here. Peace. Later. Yo, Rob. Yo, I mean, what's the biggest complaint I always have whenever we record these podcasts? Besides Jerv being too sleepy, um, I think it's you forget to name a couple of things. You always want to talk about some extra stuff. Oh, man. It's the worst feeling in the world. When we get done and we say cut and I'm sending the files to Rob and I say, shit, I forgot we were going to talk about this topic or that topic. Well, guess what? We're not going to have those problems anymore. If you go ahead and download the Stereo app. That's right. Go to Stereo.com slash Darth Amin and make sure you are linked and subscribe to us. And we're going to talk about all of the different things that I always forget about. This is a great app. Every time you guys are listening to this pod, you say, oh, I wish I could chime in, but you're listening to a pod. You can never chime in. It's pre-recorded. Guess what? With stereo, you're able to have your voice heard. You can ask real-time questions about either the pod episode we recorded or whatever we're talking about at the time. It's great. It's a forum for you to listen to your favorite podcasters. That'll be me and our, yours truly all at the Count the Things Network. And we're going to be out here. We're going to do this regularly multiple times a week just hop on stereo download the app subscribe follow darth the mean follow talk hoops follow trayvon follow big Waz. all of us you know who we are you search for us on the stereo app you will find us and subscribe to us and be a part of these conversations real time have the ability to ask the questions that you want to ask stop us when we're on some bullshit as we are frequently and of course, catch some content that goes above and beyond what you listen to in the podcast you already love. Again, that is the Stereo app. And you can follow me, Stereo.com slash Darth Amin. You can look up everybody else by their handles. Their handles are all the same as what we have on social media. You join us multiple times a week. I love Stereo. I'm on the app talking all the time. Follow me and get notified every time I go live.